You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com, and, of course, I will answer as many as I can. You know, we're in the middle of January. you got to love this part of the school year. For the most part, the children are acclimated. They know you. You know them. You get their jokes. They don't get your jokes. They do get your jokes. They have the schedule down pat. Even though my class loves every day, I must write down the schedule, even though every day is exactly the same as the day before. Eh, a couple nuances. But they it's a comfort. They know what to do. They, and yes, of course, always learning new things. But it's, it's like a comfort. Except you can't just always be comfort. There's always got to be a wrinkle. You always got to get ready for new stuff coming. And the truth is, and uh, every third grade finds out, by me at least, that once we come back from the midwinter break, it's like a totally new school year. Stuff we did at the beginning of the year, we're past that, has to get integrated. New stuff is coming, new things we have to study and learn, and it's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. And, uh, and the same with the show, right? Yeah. We just keep going, always new stuff, always new ideas, always new um, angles that I'm looking for. But in any case, before we get there, of course, we have to pause and remind everybody to all the dedicated listeners. I know you guys love the show, and I do need your help uh, to help our show spread and to take care of the costs we have here. Um, I need you to go to my homepage, please. Hit that donate button. Leave a name. We'll give you a shout out. Memory of happy birthday, happy anniversary. And of course, in advance, I do thank you. So we are at the beginning of Exodus, the new book, the creation of the Jewish nation and the creation of the, the greatest, probably, Jewish leader. He is the one, Moses, the one that teaches us what it means to be a leader. And I was thinking that if we're going to talk about our greatest leader, Moses leads the Jewish people, takes us out of Egypt, gets us the Torah, gets us through the desert, creates the Jewish nation. As he sets the groundwork. He gets us to understand what it means to be a people, to be a nation. So I figured for this show it would be a good idea to talk about who is Moses? Who is Moses? Where did he come from? What was his life? It was, what did it take or what does it take to be a leader? I think that's the question we want to discuss. So let's Let's go back to the beginning. Moses is born at a time where Jewish babies are being killed. They're being killed. God miraculously has to allow Moses not only to be born, but to not get killed. And God has to make sure that he won't be killed. Now he's not thrown into the river, but no one's going to kill him. So what happens? First, really, um, Moses' parents separated. 
Amram said, I'm going to force God's hand. This, um, is, this slavery is too much for the Jewish people. The best thing is that we won't have any more kids. No more kids, no Jewish people. God will be forced to get us out of this slavery. Along comes his five-year-old daughter. So you have the leader of the, of the Jewish people in Egypt and his five-year-old daughter comes and says, oh, daddy, you know, you're worse than Pharaoh. Like, you know, if I was Amram, I'd pull a lollipop out of my pocket and say, little girl, would you like a doll to play with? Like, get lost. Um, some fathers, old-fashioned, would, of course, give her a patch for her insolence. And, but he doesn't. He listens to her. He realizes she's, she's right, right? You know, it's, Amram is trying to play God. <clears throat> Am is trying to force God's hand. Can't force God's hand. You got to do what you're supposed to do, and it's God's job to take care of us. And Miriam also says it was a prophecy. You'll get married. You'll have a kid, and that child will take the Jewish people out. Fine. They get remarried. Seven months later, Moses is born, but they can hide him for a few months. What we're gonna do? They put him in the river. Miriam knows a miracle is going to happen. She wants to see the miracle. So she goes out by the river. The daughter of Pharaoh comes down. She sees the baby. She brings it in from the river. And she decides that she wants the baby like a toy. Right? She wants the baby. And they, they, you need someone to nurse the baby. And the Egyptian nursemaids um, were unsuccessful. Moses would not nurse from them. So, yeah, so Miriam comes and says, oh, I know a lady who could... Uh, feed this child, and she calls Moses' mother, Yocheved. And, and Basra says, oh, I see you can nurse this child. Well, for the next two years while you nurse my baby, I, I can't do anything because it's my baby, but I, I can't feed him, so what's the point? And interesting enough, she didn't have Yocheved move into the palace. That was probably something that was, would be like totally unheard of in Egypt. Instead, she tells Yocheved, I will pay you to feed my baby and take care of my baby till you can wean him and to make sure no one touches the princess's baby, I will have guards stationed outside your home to keep away any of the riffraff that want to bother my baby. So we've said this multiple times already, right? This is God's sense of humor. As right, Beryl Wine was wont to say that the Pharaoh says, my plan is to kill Moses, and God says, Really? Not only are you not going to kill him, you're going to support him, and you're going to pay for his protection. You're going to actually protect the baby you're trying to kill. Okay, so the beginning of Moses' life, clearly miracles are taking place for this child to become what he becomes. But we're going to see nothing is for free. right? God will set up all the cards that Moses has the opportunity to be the, the, the leader. But Moses still has to earn it. So first of all, so Moses will be brought to the palace. Moses raised in the palace. This we've also talked about in the past, so we won't spend too much time on it. But the Jewish nation was a bunch of slaves. And we're all slaves in Egypt. A, a slave can't be a leader. If you're brought up as a slave... You, you can't, you, it's impossible. Your, your, your whole personality does not allow for you to be a leader of the Jewish nation or any nation for that matter. If you're a slave, you can't be a leader. So, therefore, 
Moses has to be raised in the palace. In the palace, he's a prince. A prince could be a leader. So certainly, at the beginning of Moses' life, a lot of things are being set up. A lot of things are being planned and prepared so that Moses can be this amazing leader for the Jewish people. When he's three years old, um, sitting on Pharaoh's lap, on Grandpa's lap, he takes the crown off Pharaoh's head and he smashes it on the floor. Now, most of us would say, eh, you ever hold a baby on your lap? If you wear glasses, the kid rips the glasses off. You're supposed to know better. But, of course, Pharaoh has advisors. Oh, Pharaoh, this is a very bad sign. Oh, this kid threw your, your crown on the floor. This kid is going to grow up to take your crown. Which, by the way, was true, right? Moses comes, ten plagues, destroys uh, Egypt. So to a certain extent, this is very true. So like all good kings and pharaohs, oh, yeah, he's going to take away my crown, kill him. As the angel comes down, the angel says, oh, come on, pharaoh. It's a kid. He just likes pretty things. Let's test it. So into the room they have two plates brought in, one of burning hot coals, bright red bright red coals, and another plate of rubies. So again, rubies are pretty in light. You know, they shine, they're very pretty, but not as bright as a red-hot coal. But Mo's not a fool, even though he's three years old. Um, he reaches out for, for the rubies. Well, the angel is <laughs> not having any of that. So the angel moves his hand. Obviously, no one saw. He moves his hand, and Moses grabs a coal. But again, Moses is a baby. So what do babies do when they have something hot in their hand? They, they put it to their lips. And Moses burns his lips and tongue so badly that there's actually 10 letters in the Hebrew alphabet that Moses cannot pronounce. Anything that you need a tongue, like a D sound and a T sound and a, um, I don't remember, I have to go through the whole alphabet. Um, also any of the lip sounds, like a F like a like a f sound anything or a p any letters that need either the lips or the tongue to pronounce he can't pronounce so now we have something fascinating right let's we got to look at the scale over here god prepares moses to be the leader and then he does something that makes it almost impossible to be a leader he can't talk right if you think of any famous leader we have uh, martin luther king day coming up um, I think next week. Either next week or two weeks, whatever. I don't have a calendar in front of me. But Martin Luther King Day is coming. Martin Luther King was obviously a great speaker. Great speaker. Right? He could enthrall. He could convince. Very, very good speaker. If he didn't have the ability to talk, he wouldn't have become who he became. There's no question. Right? Let's not fool ourselves. Right? Nowadays with television, with, with, uh, with online if you can't talk, no one's listening to you. It's, it's not happening. So now Moses has a major issue how he's going to be a leader. So God's now playing over here, right? We're setting up things to make Moses a good leader. And we're also throwing some monkey wrenches in to make it almost impossible for him to become a leader. Okay, so let's keep that on the side. Moses grows up a little bit more. He knows he's Jewish. And two years being home was enough to tell him he's Jewish. He goes out to see the slavery, to not sympathize, but to empathize. 
because good leaders empathize, not sympathize. For those who don't know the difference between sympathy and empathy, um, if a person, if I see a person in a hole, if I sympathize with a person, I crawl into the hole. I'm in the hole with you. I sympathize for you. <laughs> That's worthless. You're not helping me. You're just joining me. Empathize means I'm outside of the hole and I'm trying to find a way of getting you out. That is the different difference between sympathy and empathy. So Moses goes out to empathize and he sees a Egyptian beating a Jew. I have the end of the whole story right now about that. But in any case, Moses kills the Egyptian. Okay, he's already protecting his brethren. Whether that's leadership quality or not, we'll see. Then what happens? He comes out the next day and he sees the Jew that he saved and his brother, Dustin of Aaron, fighting, fist fighting. Moses says, you wicked person. Why are you fighting with your brother? Leader, I am not afraid to say the truth. I am not afraid. Right? Even though people may not like me for it. Right? That was, again, if, if every leader is only somebody that everybody likes everything they say, then they're worthless. Right? I don't need a leader who says everything I want to hear. Then you're not leading me. You're just trying to butter me up. That's not a leader. Moses tells them, he says, you wicked guy, you're not allowed to fight. They turn to Moses and say, oh, you're going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian. And in the conversation, it became clear to Moses that these two guys had tattletailed to Pharaoh that he had killed the Egyptian. So now Moses has to run for his life. So Moses does what a good leader is supposed to do, but it now cost him. And it cost him that he's got to run for his life. Now, interesting in the Torah, um, the next 60 or so years of Moses' life are off the radar. We do not know what happened to Moses. There's different midrashim. He, he conquered kingdoms. He helped kings get their jobs back. If he became a king, whatever it was, eventually Moses makes his way all the way, all the way to a place called Midian. Exactly where that is, I'm not exactly sure. Maybe Jordan. I'm not exactly sure where Midian is exactly located. Somewhere in that area. In any case, hey at least, you know, 70 at this point, time to get married. So he goes to the well, just like um, Abraham's servant Eliezer goes to the well and Jacob goes to the well to get married. He goes to the well and Jethro, his, or Yisro, his daughters are shepherds or shepherdesses, <clears throat> if that's a word. And they're going to get the sheep for the water and the, sh- and the other shepherds chase them away. Again, I don't, I don't want to get into all the details today. That's probably a different show we talked about it, of exactly why they're being chased away. But Moses saves them. So again, he's a leader. He sees people being taken advantage of. He protects them. And he waters their sheep. But he doesn't do anything else. He doesn't say, hey, by the way, can I go home with you? Nothing. The girls get home and Jethro says, why are you guys doing home so early? Like, did you feed my sheep or not? And they tell him the story about this guy dressed like an Egyptian and he saved them from the shepherds and he watered the sheep and he was able to water them very, very quickly. So he says, and you left him there? I got seven daughters. I I need to get you girls married. And you left this guy who saved you by the water? Go back 
invite him here, and let's see if he wants to marry one of you. Moses comes back. There's another very famous Medrash story that um, Jethro, when he had left Egypt, he had taken that staff, the staff that Moses will end up with, and he'd stuck it in his backyard, and a tree had grown around it, and he couldn't get it out of the ground. So it became a contest, a strongman contest. Whoever get the stick out of the ground can marry my daughters. You know, I was talking to somebody. Um, all the best stories, right, always come back to some Jewish stories, uh, source. Anytime you find, like, a wild story and you say, whoa, there's a great, like, you know, King Arthur, there's somewhere in there a story with a sword. I don't even remember it. All these stories go back to Jewish stories. People delved into Jewish stories, and they, they it makes it sound like they created something on their own. But in any case, Moses brings the stick in. He says, oh, is this the stick you want? And he, uh, okay. So Jethro agrees that his daughter, Tzipora, can marry Moses, but he can't go back to Egypt without uh, Jethro's permission. Moses becomes a shepherd. A shepherd is a very good training for leadership because to raise sheep, you have to learn to deal with each and every individual sheep. If you can deal with individual sheep, you have a chance of dealing with individual people. And the Jewish people are a nation that needs to be dealt with as individuals. Who just told me the story with the first president of Israel, and maybe it was Truman. And so Truman said, I'm a president of 200 million people. And uh, the first president, I guess, Weitzman of Israel says, I'm the prime minister of two million, or I'm the president of two million presidents. It's a different uh, job, to say the least. In any case, then one of the sheep runs away, and Moses chases after it. It leads him to the burning bush, and Moses sees the sheep is thirsty, and he, and he starts to carry it. He shows that caring and concern. And then he's by the burning bush. And God says, you got to take out the Jewish people. You know, I imagine most of us, if God came down a burning bush and said, you know, I got a job for you, I don't think too many of us are arguing. Moses fighting with God for a whole week. Part of that fighting was to guarantee that everything would go well with the Jewish people. For example, he says, God, what's the guarantee that if I take him out, you don't turn around and bring him back to Egypt? Like, you say you're bringing him out? Um, I need a guarantee that it's permanent. What's my guarantee? And God says, okay, they're going to accept the Torah. And... But can you imagine? Right? Moses is the leader that is willing to fight. He's not even the leader yet. And God offers it to him, and he's already protecting the Jewish people. That is what we want when we talk about a leader. We want somebody that will lead, that will take care, that's not just into the job because the job comes along with a lot of honor and prestige and wealth. That's not what Moses is looking for, and that's not what we want. When we talk about a leader, as we're going through all these different parts of Moses' life story, mistakes happen, he does things wrong, he oversteps his bounds, but we still see what does it mean if somebody should be a leader. So very interesting. Um, so, so after the burning bush, Moses has to go back to Jethro and get permission to go down to Egypt because he said he wouldn't leave without Jethro's permission. So you got to think about the story here for a second, right? Moses says to God, 
okay, you know, I'll have no choice. I'll take the job. But I got to go back to Jethro and get permission. Right? Jethro opened his, his home to me. I, I, I'm like a son to him. I got to go ask permission. If you think about it, uh, who owes more to whom? Jethro's got seven daughters. They got to get married, right? As as we say, the shidduch crisis, right? I got daughters, I got to get them married. And uh, this guy comes along and is willing to marry one of my daughters, right? And Moses is taking care of Jethro's sheep, right? Uh, so, Mo- so Moses is the one that is completely taking care of Jethro. Not Jethro is taking care of Moses, but I'm taking care of Moses, taking care of Jethro, so I don't need permission from Jethro. Maybe it's polite, but he tells God, I need, I need permission from Jethro. Like, what gives, right? And not only that, by the way, the Medrash tells us when Moses first shows up, Jethro is not so accommodating. Some say they kept Moses locked up for 10 years. Tzipor kept him alive, and they talked, but he, he was afraid that Pharaoh was going to come looking for Moses. Because Moses was an escaped uh, criminal, right? He killed that Egyptian. So Jethro, at the beginning, may not have been the best father-in-law. And I'm sure there's a lot of jokes, the idea of keeping him locked up for 10 years. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of jokes in there about father-in-laws. So Avram Pam, a blessed memory. So Tzal used to say the following phrase, Miyut hatoiv loy nizbatel b'roiv hara means like this. That means any small amount of good, and this is also going to help us with understanding leadership, right? Any, even a small amount of good should never be overlooked or dismissed just because of a large amount of bad. I mean, there are so many places we can go to go with this. You know, you have children in school and maybe they're having a hard time in school, but there's good things also the school's doing for the child. Yes. Perhaps there's a lot of bad things the this, this school is doing, or in a job situation, or in a family situation, or in a relative situation. We'll, we'll find people that did something good for the person. And yes, somehow over the course of time, um, a lot of bad also. The person's taking a lot of garbage, as we like to say. It's true. But you cannot ignore the fact that some good was also done. And you have to recognize that good was done. And we owe a debt of gratitude when there was good that was done. And we have to express our appreciation, right, for any good. So it's you don't get to say that, well, they did so many bad things to me, I don't owe them any good. It's not true. Good stuff was done, I owe you a thank you. Bad stuff was done, I could be upset about it. So I could be upset about bad stuff, but at the same time I have to recognize that there's a lot of good that was done also. Children are the best example, right? Now, as our parents take care of us, um, sometimes the parents may uh, not always be as good as they should be. But you can't ignore the good stuff they did. Okay, there's bad stuff, so you, you can't talk to them nicely, so don't talk to them. You, w- whatever has to be done, but we should never forget in a situation, if if there's good that was done, we have to appreciate the good, Okay, and we have to deal with the bad stuff that was done. Very, very important, right? Therefore, Moses takes this concept to this extreme level, and he tells God 
that I can't go fulfill your divine mission unless I recognize that some good was done. Now, Moses, by the way, is the epitome of recognizing when good was was done to him over and over and over his whole life, right? Maybe that's part of leadership qualities as well, is having the ability to recognize when good was done. His name is Moses. Who gave him the name Moses? The 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 Pharaoh's princess that pulled him out of the river. She gave him that name. His parents gave him a different name when he was born. But the Torah never even tells me what that name was. The Talmud talks about different names he got. Moses walks around with a permanent name of gratitude. Whether the Torah gives him that name, whether he demands that's his name, um, his tongue is burned, right? He can't talk, right? He wants to show God gratitude that I recognize you did a miracle for me. Instead of saying to God, I can't talk, so you want me to be the leader, fix my mouth, right? Moses doesn't say that. Everything Moses does through his whole life is all gratitude. And here again, he will not go on the mission that God is sending him on until he shows gratitude for that, um, for the good that Jethro did do for him. He wasn't the best father-in-law, certainly not at the beginning of his tenure in, uh, in Midian. But the fact of the matter is, Jethro gave him a place to stay. Jethro gave him his daughter. So for that, he owes him a thank you. You know, if we would think and imagine how our lives and relationships would be different with those we are closest to, and of course, from whom we tend to get hurt the most, right? Now, it's family has the ability to hurt us more than anybody, but it's family who we're closest to. If we would all adopt this important principle of appreciation, right? If we get past negative feelings, prejudices, it would be a beautiful world. And the music is playing. I hope you enjoyed it, short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team. I have Alan in the back. I have left you with some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.